that that reminds us of and that are told to us in the word. And if you're just joining us this week for the first time, we've been talking about what it means to trust the story, to trust uh, what God has been doing in the from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And uh, today really just fits right in that. And over the last two years, uh, I've been studying the Old Testament. I've been studying this idea of what the gospel of the kingdom uh, really means, what it looks like. And, you know, I believe that if we preach the gospel correctly, it sure sounds like, if you preach grace correctly, it sounds like it doesn't matter how we live. I mean, if you think of the Apostle Paul and how many times he had to remind people when he preached the gospel, that doesn't mean you should live this way. Remember, you died to that life. Remember that we don't live like the Gentiles anymore. We live as, as if we've been grafted in. And so what salvation does for us is so profound, so powerful. It makes us so right with God that when we do preach it correctly, it does sound like that we're saying doesn't matter how you live. And, you know, when you look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when the Apostle Paul is telling them to examine their hearts when they take communion, I think sometimes um, we look at that and we, we try to find any sin that we need to repent of. Or, and there's nothing wrong with finding sin uh, in our lives when we take communion. But this idea that, um, you know, in order to, to take communion, we have to be totally sinless or we have to confess every sin we've ever committed. That's not what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 11. He's actually saying, um, you guys in the body, you're mistreating the body. You're not recognizing my body. You're not loving your neighbor uh, as you love yourself. And that's what he's telling them to examine, to see how much this blood that you've received is transforming how you treat other people. Because remember from the cross, the blood of Jesus doesn't cry out for vengeance. You know what it cries out for? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That's what the blood of Jesus does. And if you've truly received that, it ought to change how we treat others and how we respond to needs in, in other people's lives. And so, uh, we're going to look today at this idea of continuing to trust the story, and we're going to talk about getting Egypt out of our lives. I want to remind you that uh, we've started the book, The Untold Story. We do have a few copies left here at the church. If you have not picked one up yet, you can pick one up. It's a supplemental reading guide. Um, so this week, we're reading chapter 6, and we're reading in the book of Acts, chapters 1 through 4. And uh, we have put together a reading guide. We have those here at the church as well. I can email you those. I did put uh, a copy of those on our, our Facebook page as well. You can find one of those to download. Um, but we're trying to read the Bible in a way uh, that looks at it through the lens of the, the Hebrews, looks at it through the lens of the Jews. Because if we understand what they're saying to their culture, it helps us understand how to apply it to our lives. And, you know, someone had mentioned to me this week, it's like, I, I almost don't know how to read the Bible anymore. Um, and I promise you, when I came back from Israel in 2012, I felt the exact same way. Um, but I want to I tell you, the blood of Jesus is more than enough. And I want to say, just keep digging into the word. Keep letting it reform and reshape you. Uh, as you start thinking like an Easterner, as you start thinking like someone who lived in this time period, I promise you, you're going to start seeing things that you never saw before. You're going to start bringing scripture passages together like you never did before. So don't be discouraged. Don't be like, oh, I don't even know what to do. 
Uh, just keep taking the journey. Because the second cup, if you remember the, the Passover that we talked about at the beginning, the first promise is, I'll take you out of Egypt from under their yoke. The second promise is, I will set you free from slavery. To us, that might sound like the same thing, but it is not the same thing. He's taking them out of the slavery mindset. I'm going to teach you how to live like a free person. Remember, all their lives, they've been slaves. So now they have to learn, how do I live as a free person without someone telling me what to do? How do I live in this moment? And they've seen the kingdom of empire. They've seen how Pharaoh used the rod to, to, to crush them and to threaten them and to use fear and manipulation. Um, but now God's like, that's not how I'm going to lead you. I'm going to lead you with my voice. And I want you to know that you live by every word that comes from my mouth. And so he leads them into the wilderness, into a test to, to show them what's in their hearts, to experience it, but to bring them out of slavery, out of that slavery mindset. And he does the same thing with us. And as we go through today, I think you're going to see that that's exactly uh, what God is trying to do for us. He's helping us to establish his kingdom. So it does matter how we live once we receive Jesus, because for the Jew, when they submit to the will of God, what they're literally doing is they're establishing the kingdom of God, his rule and reign on the earth. By choosing not to act by the, the kingdoms of the world, by choosing not to act according to what their own fleshly desires are, but to be led by the word of God, when they do that, what they do is establish the kingdom. And so all we do as the body of Christ right now is we're establishing the kingdom of God on earth by every act of submission. Every daily choice we make, we are establishing the kingdom of God. I don't know if you, you know this, but as Westerners, we have become addicted to entertainment. And so we, we tend to not want to be a part of something if we aren't entertained by it or if we're not moved emotionally by it or um, if, you know, we don't see the value of it. If there's not an immediate return, we tend to shy away from it. We're not really good at discipline. It's hard for us to see the value in these daily mundane things. And so for the Jews, when they continue to internalize these truths and recite them day after day, week after week, year after year, the things that they went through were, were trying to internalize the truths of God, get them in them so that God could bring them out of them and use them to establish his kingdom on the earth. The same calling that he gave to them as a kingdom of priests, is the same calling he's given us as a kingdom of priests. I used to believe that when God brought them to Mount Sinai, they rejected the idea of being a kingdom of priests, and so God just settled for using the Levites. That's not what happened. When they came to Mount Sinai, God said, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. And he gave them Leviticus. He gave them the Levites in the center of the camp so that they could watch what a priest does. Not like the priests back in Egypt, but the priests who are right here in, in this, the kingdom of God. I want you to watch what they do day after day after day because it's a model for how you're going to live as a kingdom of priests. They didn't get to reject being a kingdom of priests. God kept calling them back to it. You're a kingdom of priests. So when Peter tells us in the New Testament, you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. That's what we are. We're a kingdom of priests on the earth, establishing the rule and reign of God by our daily choices. 
And remembering these things, celebrating communion, celebrating the Passover, reciting the prayers, rehearsing the scriptures, all of that is to help establish it in our hearts so it comes out of us. Now, we tend to think, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm a good Christian. I'm a good believer. And then we hit a test. We hit something where something comes out of us and we're like, oh, maybe I'm not as good as I thought. Well, here's the thing. The Bible tells us that's already been in our hearts all along. And God wants us to experience it together so that we humble ourselves. It doesn't mean, oh, I guess I'm really not saved because that came out of my heart. No, you're totally saved because of what Jesus has done for you. It's salvation depends on him from start to finish. But we are establishing the kingdom. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 5. Let your good deeds be done so that people see them and they glorify your Father in heaven. Because you're establishing the kingdom with your good deeds. You're not doing it to earn your salvation. You're doing it because of your salvation. That's what it means to live from the finished work of Christ and not towards the finished work of Christ. And so this repetition is so important for us. I want to challenge you. Take communion right regularly. Take it once a week. Take it every day by yourself, with your family. Continue to bring back to your mind until you really understand what it's done for you and you start living it out in a better and better way. Just keep doing it. The Jews, every, every week when they go to synagogue, they would read from a portion of the Torah and a, a portion of the prophets and the writings. They read through the Torah every single year, and they read through the prophets and the writings every three years. Repetition for them is very important because it's remembrance. It's not just vain repetition. Remember, Jesus said, don't just have vain repetition, but internalize your repetition so that you remember, so that it transforms the way that you live your life. This is what James is talking about when he says, don't just hear the word, but do what the word says. And uh, that's kind of what I want to look at today. I want us to look at uh, a prayer that the, that the Jews would pray every single day. It's a prayer known as the Shema. Uh, the Shema is really just a Hebrew word that means listen, listen. In fact, when, when Exodus uh, chapter 16 through 19, when God uses the word to the Israelites that's translated in our Bibles, if you obey me, if you obey my commands, if you obey, that word obey is actually the word Shema in the Hebrew. It's the word listen. Because for the Hebrew, to listen doesn't mean just let it come in your ear. It means obey. Listen in a way that leads to obedience. So there's not a different word for obey. It's the same word, listen. So when they say the Shema, when we look at it here in just a few moments, the Shema is that repetition every single day. They said it in the morning. They said it at night. It was that constant reminder to listen and do the will of God because he brought you out. He already sanctified you because he's setting you free from that slave mentality, because he's redeemed you, because he's called you to be his people and he's going to protect you. This is how we live that out. And I feel like sometimes we look at the life of Jesus and we think that Jesus is because he had a divine nature, because he's fully God and fully man. We're like, well, you know, Jesus, he he overcame temptation because of who he was. But that's not true. Hebrews chapter four reminds us this high priest, Jesus understands our weakness because he faced the same testings that we do, but he did not sin. 
So when we're tempted to think, well, you know, Jesus was superhuman and he passed his test because of uh, this superhuman word of God. I'm here to tell you that's not true. Jesus passed his test because he was a student of the word, because he internalized the message, because every single day of his life, he went through the, the Torah, he went through the prophets, he went through the writings, he said the Shema, he remembered the words of God, he was raised. Jesus wasn't put in the household of Mary and Joseph just because God randomly selected them. He intentionally chose them because he knew they could be trusted to raise Jesus in a way that would prepare him for what he would have to face. And so when Jesus comes to the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prays on that night, what's coming out of him is his repetition. He is prepared for this moment. Uh, this week, I read a, a blog post by Mark Turnage. Mark was my guide when I went to Israel. And I want to share, it's kind of a lengthy quote, but it fits where we're going to go and what we're going to talk about. And so Mark says these words. He says, Christians often treat Jesus even in his vulnerable moments in Gethsemane, as a type of Superman. Well, he was God, so of course, he submitted to God's will. Such reasoning is never reflected by the evangelists or the gospel writers. The incarnation did not give Jesus superhuman will. In stressful situations, humans revert to their known behaviors and practices. During a basketball game, a player doesn't have time to practice or think about the mechanics of the shot. They have to shoot and rely upon the hours and repetition to take over. A singer standing in front of a crowd cannot begin to practice his or her solo. Rather, the conductor brings the baton down. The singer must trust the hours of repetitive discipline and practice. People often think that true spirituality is how one lives in the big moments of life. But we fail to realize that our performance, our obedience in the big moments is conditioned by how we disciplined ourselves in the ordinary and mundane moments of existence. Jesus submitted to the Father, to the will of the Father in Gethsemane, standing at the door of escape because he had made it a daily habit to submit to God's rule and reign in his life. In a moment when he could have run, his discipline of daily submission to God's will took over. And because of the habit that was a part of the ancient Jewish piety, the world has never been the same. We need to be careful not to define spirituality by the big moments. We should not despise the daily and mundane that provide us the opportunity to submit to God's kingship and his will. If we are the recipients of Jesus' obedience, which came about because of his daily discipline, I wonder how those around us would benefit if, emulated, if we emulated the practice of our master. It's so important that you and I continue the daily disciplines of being in the word, of submitting to the Father's will, of understanding that when we go through tests, when things come out of us that don't seem to line up, that we don't let shame and guilt overwhelm us. We remind ourselves the blood of Jesus has taken care of that, but we need to confess it. We need to remind ourselves we don't live that way anymore. That has no place in our lives. We're dead to that type of thinking. We're dead to that type of behavior. We're dead to that path. 
pattern. And we're not going to live that way anymore. And we submit ourselves to what God's word has said. Not because we're afraid of judgment, but because we understand that he's called us to willingly submit ourselves to him, to trust his word, to trust his voice. He doesn't want to use a rod to discipline us. He wants to use his word, his voice. My sheep know my voice. And if we'll submit to that on a daily basis, every single day, we'll submit to that. We'll find that we pass those tests more often than not. So back to the Shema. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, here's the prayer that the, the Israelites would pray every single day. And here's that word right at the beginning, Shema, hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, nothing for the Jew was more central than this prayer, the Shema, that they reminded themselves of every single day. He's our God. He's our God. We're his people. He's one. He's the only God. He's the only true God. So therefore, we're going to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. And by reciting it every day, not just vainly, but reminding in our hearts, writing it upon our hearts that this is how we're going to live because he's brought us out, because he's delivered us, because he's redeemed us, because he's made us his people. This is who we are. This is our new identity, and we will live this way. And when our lives don't match it, we will humble ourselves and say, God, remove this from our lives because we are your people, and we will live according to your word. Now, the scripture teaches us that God leads us into these wilderness places. He leads us into the desert. The people of Israel, remember, were led into the desert. Remember, they had to go three days without water. I don't know if you can imagine what it would be like to go three days in a desert without water. You'd be thirsty. But what God is trying to teach them is he's trying to press them just enough to get that slave mentality out of them. You know what? We're in a season right now where you and I are facing a type of wilderness. We're being told you need to stay at home. We're being told you can't live your life the way you want to. We're being told these things. And some stuff is coming out of us. Rebellion is coming out of us. Irritability is coming out of us. The desire to, to you know, we're going through withdrawal for things that we used to trust in. And it's being exposed in our lives. This is a great time for us to begin to develop the disciplines that God is calling us to in this wilderness. Don't let this season be wasted. Okay, if we're going to live according to the truths of God's word when we come out of this season, it's important that we establish these things in our hearts right now. And God promises us when we come out of these seasons, the same way that Jesus came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. It was like the wilderness prepared him for ministry. And so when Jesus comes and he's tested, remember the Pharisees came to test him, and they said, what's the greatest commandment? And do you remember what Jesus did? He recited the Shema to them. The most important commandment 
is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is something he says every day. Every day, Jesus would recite this prayer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. And when Jesus is tested, that's what comes out of him. That, it's not just what comes out of him in his words. We're going to look in a moment at the different tests that Israel faced, that Jesus faced, that his disciples faced, and that we faced. And I wish I had time to take you to every single scripture by itself. We're not going to have that kind of time today because I've only got 15 minutes left. But I'm going to put them on the screen, the references. And when they're on the screen, take a picture of your screen or, you know, write them down real quick. And you can come back and look at them later. This video is posted. Come back and look at it later and pause it. And put these things down because I believe this is the reminder. We have to continue. I'm not saying we should repeat the Shema every single day, but maybe we should. Maybe it's that intentional reminder that this is who we are. This is who God is. This is what we're going to do. And we're going to talk about what these words mean and how we're supposed to live them out in our lives because when we're pressed, this is what we want to come out of our lives. When we face testings, we want these things to come out of us. So when God led the people of Israel through the wilderness, he intentionally took, uh, he was supposed to take a number of time, but remember, they had to take 40 years because they just continued to refuse to learn the messages he wanted them to learn. He intentionally brings them into the wilderness to teach them, to teach them how to live as free people, to teach them how to live in the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of empire that was modeled for them by Pharaoh, to teach them a new way of living. So what does it mean to love the Lord your God? We're going to look first at what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Okay, that word heart means totally, absolutely everything, and completely. For the Jews, the heart wasn't just the organ that beats in the chest. Okay, they don't have a concept for brain or for mind. And so when they talk about the heart, this is where the intellectual activity takes place. It takes place in their heart. We know in our hearts. We understand in our hearts. Proverb tells us that wisdom resides in our heart. It's where we are able to discern truth and error. It's in our hearts. The scripture also says we feel in our hearts. We pain in our heart, fear in our hearts, distressed in our hearts, but also joy and happy in our hearts. The heart is where we make choices that are motivated by our desires. Remember, it was in David's heart to build a temple. And, and the prophet Nathan said to him, do what's in your heart to do. Remember, Psalm says God's going to give us desires in our heart. Okay, when you fail a test from the heart, it's not because God wants you to be like beat yourself up and be like, oh, you should be ashamed of yourself. He's saying, I want you. I'm doing this because I want all of your heart. I'm showing you how to obey me. I'm showing you what was in your heart that maybe you weren't aware of. And I'm showing you how to love me with all of your heart. This is the center of all of our life, our physical life, our thought life, our emotional life, our choices. Proverbs even says, guard your heart because from it flows the wellspring of life. It's everything. 
Jeremiah says our hearts are deceptively wicked. Everything in our heart is totally evil. And that's why Paul in the New Testament says we circumcise our hearts. We cut away at the, 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 the yucky evil and stubbornness in our hearts. God cut away that stuff. And we devote our whole body, our mind, our feelings, our desires, our future, and our failures, all of it, to God in our hearts. So when Israel comes into the desert in Exodus chapter 16 and in Deuteronomy chapter 8. It says that God says purposefully, I came to test you, to show you what was in your heart so that you would learn not, you don't live by bread alone. You live by every word that comes from my mouth. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to meet your needs. You don't have to worry about your desires. I have better desires for you. And trying to get them to be dependent upon him. This is why when God told Moses, speak to the rock, and Moses struck the rock, God didn't let him go into the promised land because he was supposed to illustrate for the people of Israel that we are led not by the staff of God. We don't strike the rock, we speak to the rock. We trust the word of God to, to lead us and guide us. And the question is, when you're in that time of testing, and maybe God has spoken a word, but you don't feel it. You don't sense it. You know, you're in the daily routine, the daily Monday. Are you going to submit your heart fully to him? When Jesus was in the wilderness and the, and the enemy tempted him to turn the stones into bread, Jesus quoted this from Deuteronomy chapter 8. The same test Israel went through, he, he, he quotes it. It's written, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus is tying his temptation back to the temptation that they faced in Israel. But we sometimes think Jesus only faced temptations in the desert. If you remember, the other scriptures that are there are when his family came to him to rebuke him. They came to try to take him away by force and say, stop, you've lost your mind. That's a temptation of the heart that Jesus is facing. Jesus even tempted or tested his disciples. Remember, he, he was with a crowd of people and he tested them. He said, you feed them. You give them bread. And he did this to test them so they would know what was in their hearts. It's that same test. You and I are called to face that same test every single day. And the question is, are we going to love him with all of our heart, with all of our being? Or is there something we're holding back? Is there an area of our lives where we're withholding it? This is seen in no better way than in the area of forgiveness. Are we holding on? We're not trusting God to come through for us. And so we're just going to hold back a little bit. We're going to hold back an area of unforgiveness and say, well, maybe I'm not, gonna, I'm not ready to do that. God says, I want your whole heart, every dream, every desire. He then goes on and says, we need to love him with all of our soul. This literally means to entrust our entire life or being to him. It's a question of whether we're going to follow him in obedience, even when our life is at risk. Are we willing to put our life in his hands? This word soul uh, is kind of a funny word because the literal um, Hebrew word, excuse me, in the Shema is the word for throat. It's the throat. And so it, it's depicting what goes into our throats and obviously then sustains our life. It's what goes in, what comes out of our throat. Okay, so this is the essence of our being. The Greeks taught 
that our soul was the non-physical part of us, that when we died, our soul continued to live. But for the Hebrew, that wasn't necessarily the truth. The soul was every part of your person, every part of your physical being. We are a living, breathing, physical being. That's what it means to love God with your, your whole self, your whole soul. And so as the deer pants for water, so my soul, my whole being pants after you, God. I long for you. So we're to devote our entire existence to God. Now in Exodus chapter 17 and then in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's reviewed. The Israelites come to a place where they're in, uh, uh, they don't have water again in the desert. This is the second time. The first time was at Marah where the water was bitter, remember, and God tested them. But this time it at Massa. Something different happens here because it says in the scripture that Israel tested God. So what happens is they come to a place without water where they should know that God is their source of life. They should trust him. And what happens is they basically say, God, we're not going to trust that you're God unless you come through for us in this moment. And so their words are not just, what are we going to do? They test God in some way that shows what's in their hearts. Now, Israel is known for failing their tests often, but we shouldn't be too hard on them because a lot of times you and I fall along those same lines. But Jesus faced this test because, again, he points back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 in his response to the enemy. The enemy tells him to throw himself off the temple, but he twists it. He uses scripture and says, hey, you can throw yourself off the temple because your being, your soul, is in the hand of God. He'll protect you. But he's twisting the scripture. God says, as you obey me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep you safe. I'm going to protect you. Not as you dare and as you dare me or test me to do it by throwing yourself off the temple. Jesus says, no. He says, don't test me. And so he corrects what the enemy's doing. There's also a time later that we're told about in the Gospel of Luke where Herod is trying to kill Jesus. And so his followers are like, Jesus, you need to go hide yourself. Herod's trying to kill you. And Jesus is like, I don't need to hide from that fox because my hand, my being is in the hands of God. I'm not going to die outside of Jerusalem. Jesus knew that his hand, he fully entrusted himself to the Father. He passed the test. But his disciples, remember how the disciples responded to Jesus when he told them he had to die? And they're like, oh, no, Jesus, you're not going to die. And Jesus rebukes them and says, you don't have in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of Satan, or you have in, in mind the things of man. They didn't trust God with their lives. Peter failed this test too because on the night he betrayed Jesus, he was afraid for his soul, his being, and he failed that test. But I love that Jesus, even before he failed, said, Peter, I've prayed for you so that when you return, when you come back, your faith doesn't fail. I love that Jesus, even in our failures, is with us. And so the question for us is, have we put our lives in his hands? Are we obedient to him no matter what the cost is? Whether we lose our lives, whether we lose our family, whether we lose our friends, our reputation, our money, our business, do we love him with every part of our being? And the last one is this word strength. And this one is hard to interpret because this is the Hebrew word for very. With all of your very. It's not even a noun. It's, it's not a verb. It's an adverb. And so 
um, when God created the world and he gets to the seventh day, he says everything is good, 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 good. And then on the seventh day, he blessed it and said it was very good. That's this word. To love God with all of your very basically means to love God with everything. And so some people try to translate it as mind. Some try to translate it as strength. Some try to translate it as power. Some try, to, and, and here's the thing. Every one of those interpretations is right because it's with your muchness. It's with everything. So with the totality of your life, are you trusting Jesus? And the Israelites, when they're about to go into the promised land, Deuteronomy chapter 6, where God says, I want you to fear me and I want you to worship me only because you're going to go into the promised land and you're going to have all of this good stuff and you're going to be tempted to think you did it. But here's the thing, you didn't do it. Everything you have is from me. So will you worship me with everything? Will you worship me in a way that believes, are you going to be able to live your life in a way that shows I am the Lord your God, that, I, that you fear me only? Are you going to worship other gods because you're afraid that, they're, that you're not going to get rain when you need rain? Or are you going to fear me alone? And Jesus faced this in the wilderness when the devil says, hey, worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus is like, no, worship and fear only the Lord our God. But later on, when the, the, the disciples, when his disciples, all of his disciples, in John chapter 6, want to make him king by force. They're like, Jesus, you don't have to go by the cross. We're going to make you king. What's Jesus do? He goes off by himself. He's like, nope, I'm not going to let them make me king because I have to submit to the Father, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love him with all of my strength. I humble myself. If anyone could have used force, Surely it was the God of the universe. But he demonstrated a better way for us when he laid down his life, his muchness, his strength. And he said, there's a better way that I want to model for you. The disciples constantly argued about who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They continually failed this test to love God with all their strength. Don't look to yourself to promote yourself. Trust God to be your promotion. And so when God calls us into this, you and I, the question is, are we going to pursue stuff? Are we going to pursue activity? Are we going to pursue promotions? Are we going to, you know, are we going to practice Sabbath? Are we going to live lives that are unhurried? Are we going to trust him and, and take his yoke on us? Or are we going to, you know, spin our wheels and try to make everything happen? Or are we going to love him with all of our strength, all of our very and Jesus also talks about loving your neighbors yourself. And we're going to get into that next week when we actually talk about Pentecost and what that means. But these things, this is what Jesus says to us. And I want to bring us back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Okay, this is, again, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your being and with all your very, with everything. These are the tests that you and I are going to face every single day. And those tests are not meant to make us feel sorry for ourselves. They're meant to show us how to live out the kingdom of God, how to establish the kingdom of God. And the interesting thing about the Shema, the Shema, if you, if you look at the rest of this passage of Scripture, it was done in the home. It was done when you get up. It was done when you lie down. It was done when you walk along the way. It was done on your way back. It was done at mealtimes. It was done throughout the day. And so the synagogue, the church building, was not the place for where the, 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 the nation of Israel were supposed to get their, their religious training. The home, the home was the place 
right where you are right now with your family members, this is where the center of your instruction is meant to be. This is, and why is that? Because this is where it's lived out the best. Because when we're with each other, especially in times of isolation, what comes out? Irritability comes out. What comes out? Boredom comes out. And this is the point where God is saying, I'm teaching you how to live in my kingdom. I'm teaching you nothing is wasted. Will you trust me? Will you love me with all your heart, with your dreams, your desires, your plans, your will, your being? Will you trust me with whether you live or die? Will you trust me with your very, with everything? Or are you going to try to make things happen? Or are you going to trust me? And so I challenge you this week, come back to this passage, rehearse it, remember it, read it over and over. Let it get deep within you and transform your hearts and mind. Encourage one another as a family. Don't point out each other's flaws and faults and how you're, you're missing the mark. Remind each other of who you are. Remind you're a child of God. Remind each other of how God has called us to live. And I know that God is going to use this moment to shape and mold us as the body of Christ. And so I want to pray that blessing over you as we get ready to close today. I just want to pray that God reveals these truths to us in greater ways in this week ahead. And so, Father... I simply say thank you. I thank you for, again, the plan of salvation that you have fully revealed to us through Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you willingly came to this earth to model for us how to live in the kingdom, how how to pass these tests. Thank you for the cup of sanctification. Thank you that you have taken us out of Egypt. You have taken us out of sin. You've taken us out, and now you are teaching us. God, you've, you've set us free from the slave mindset. You're showing us how to live as free men and women, as children of God. You're showing us how to live this out in our daily lives. Thank you for the cup of redemption that we don't have to offer daily sacrifices. You have fully redeemed us. You have made us your own. And thank you for the cup of protection. God, you have completed it all for us. And we can today walk in that newness, walk in the power of your resurrection. And so God, I pray that the thing Things that we have been talking about over these weeks, as we continue to read through your story, as we read through the book of Acts this week, Holy Spirit, make it come alive in our hearts. As we rehearse these promises, as we rehearse these truths, God, continue to make them real in our hearts. Transform us by the power of your word, I pray. And now, God, I pray your peace, I pray your shalom, your your blessing over every home right now. God, I pray that you would bless them and that you would keep them. I pray that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you'd lift up your countenance upon them. God, give them peace today. God, be gracious to your people. I pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. And as you celebrate uh, Resurrection Sunday today, we want to remind you, or if you haven't heard, that we have a virtual egg hunt that's happening at 11.45 today. You're going to find the link for that in the comment section. Now, this is just for children. Adults, you can participate and watch, but you can't win. But we want all of our children to participate, so you'll find that in the link. It starts at 11.45 a.m. sharp. So make sure you're there. We hope to see you there. Thanks for being with us on Resurrection Sunday. God bless.